Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Lee Romney, sitting in for Sasha Coca as your host of the California Report magazine. Today, I'm going to bring you a story I've been reporting out of Humboldt County. It's about a young woman named Angela Lynn McConnell, who grew up in the forested hills of the Hoopa Valley Reservation. She was enrolled in the Hoopa Valley tribe. She was part Mojave from Park, Arizona, which is her grandma. Her, her father, Kevin McConnell, his father was Yurok, and he was part Kurukindi. Angela was proud of her heritage. She was a budding journalist committed to shedding light on important tribal issues. She always had all these um, different ideas, and she would do interviews with you and try to put together stories for the Hoopa newspaper. Angela had a big, warm smile, an easy giggle, and light-up-the-room kind of energy. She was so lively, bubbly. She was loving. She was so caring and and giving, very helpful to the family. That's Angela's mom, Tammy Carpenter. Over the past three and a half years, she's had to face the most unbearable loss that any parent could experience. Her only daughter was murdered. She was 26. I miss talking with her early in the mornings. Miss her hugs and her kisses, you know, hugging me, you know, squeeze, squeezing me, you know, telling me she loves, loves her mama. What happened to Angela is unfortunately too common in indigenous communities. And a warning here, we're going to talk about some difficult and painful themes that are not appropriate for kids. We'll be digging into something that's been going on since this country was colonized. Indigenous women and girls disappearing, never to be heard from again. Others, like Angela, turning up dead. Most of the cases, never solved. Law enforcement officials and lawmakers all now raising the alarm. They say there is an epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women. But families of the missing and murdered have been coming together to demand justice. Their movement even has an acronym, MMIW. All their advocacy has led to a wave of new federal initiatives. Savannah was just one of the many Native American women. Savannah's Act, the the Not Invisible Act, Operation Lady Justice. Operation Lady Justice to focus on missing and murdered Indigenous women. States are also stepping up to deal with the problem. But today, I'll be taking you closer to the ground, 
to learn how some Northern California tribes are responding. Because it's Indigenous families that understand the roots of this crisis and the pain it's causing better than anyone. Family members, if you have a missing and murdered loved one, somebody that's still missing or somebody that's been murdered, please come up and stand with us. Tammy says some of the best gifts she ever got from her daughter were poems. She loved to write poems, always writing poems to me. Poems of praise. One of the last times Tammy saw Angela, she gave her a handmade Mother's Day card, a compliment streaming from each letter of Tammy's name. T for tasteful. A, attractive. M, majestic. M, monumental. Why youthful. Just a few days later, she'd write the poem that would wind up on her gravestone. Music is my sweet life, together as one against all others. Until the Lord calls me home, may I always be in his good graces. So may it be the best years always, never ending story of Ange. Angela had dreams of becoming a journalist and, one day, a nurse, so she could care for people like she had her own grandma, who suffered from kidney disease. Even as a kid, she was a perfectionist. One time, when Grandma was living with them, Tammy baked cupcakes for Ange to take to school for Halloween. She starts crying. She goes, oh, Grandma, look at my cupcake. Mom made it look like mushrooms. Everybody's going to make fun of me at school. Grandma, I don't want to take them to school. I told him, I ain't baking no more. Tammy's laughter is rare and welcome these days because ever since her daughter was killed in early September of 2018, she's been focused almost exclusively on her hunt for justice. She's no longer with us on this earth, but I'm here and I'm her voice and I always continue to be her voice to find out who murdered my only daughter, Angela. Angela and her boyfriend were shot in the head, execution style, on the outskirts of the town of Shasta Lake. Clearly a homicide. And the Shasta County Sheriff's Department classified it that way. But more than three years in, the case remains unsolved. Meanwhile, Angela's mom, Tammy, says being a family member of an MMIW, missing and murdered Indigenous woman, can mean a painful experience with law enforcement fueled by mistrust. As a mother, it, it broke me, you know, inside. You just have to be strong, you know. You have to be always on the forefront, like asking questions. What happened? You know, get them going, you know. And it's law enforcement. That's the biggest key of MMIW is the law enforcement does not care. You know, it's like, oh, okay, another statistic. Oh, another dead Indian girl, you know. We can't find a killer. Unfortunately, Tammy's perspective is universal. Indigenous researchers right here in California recently interviewed a lot of family members of the missing and murdered, including Tammy, and their report said every single one spoke of being unheard, ignored, neglected by law enforcement. It's also why advocates and relatives of missing and murdered Indigenous women blew up Twitter in September 2021, 
when they saw just how differently authorities and the media were treating the case of another missing woman. We're going to begin with the ongoing search for the missing Long Island woman who disappeared on a cross-country road trip. Gabby Petito. 710 indigenous people, mostly girls, missing in Wyoming, where Gabby Petito disappeared. Hashtag MMIW. I've been tweeting this every day. Will you join me? Over 5,700 missing and murdered indigenous women. Hashtag MMIW. Why do the likes of Gabby Petito receive our attention, while others like Ashley Loring Heavy Runner do not? The search for the blonde aspiring social media star and the national interest was massive and immediate. Back in Wyoming, the search for Gabby has become a viral topic. So was the nationwide call that her killer be brought to justice. If you know anything about this case or them, you're urged to call the FBI. That's 1-800-CALL-FBI. We are live from Jackson Hole, Wyoming tonight. Angela and her boyfriend had been camping near his dad's house. His dad found the bodies, and his sister was the one who called Tammy to let her know. She was working on the Humboldt County coast at the time. And I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. She gathered up her family, and they all drove hours east to the Shasta County Sheriff's headquarters in Redding. We got there really late, kind of like around 8.30 maybe, give or take, and none of the officers wanted to talk to me. A group of deputies was standing in the parking lot, Tammy says. He said, well, we don't know, we don't know. And I said, well, what, what do you know? Tammy says she insisted the deputies call someone who could tell her something. They did. And a detective came outside. Angela's body was already at the coroner's, he told her. They'd identified her through her fingerprints. But because the gunshot to the head had badly disfigured her, Tammy was told she wasn't permitted to see her daughter. That still haunts her. Just seeing Angela's hands or feet, she says, would have given her a sense of certainty. We didn't get to kiss her goodbye. We didn't get to hug her or hold her hand. We didn't get to see anything, you know, so it's, it's difficult for all of us. But what really got Tammy off to a bad footing with law enforcement wasn't so much the lack of answers that night in the parking lot, but the nature of the detective's questions. Did you know your daughter's using drugs, you know, when I kind of looked at him and no child's going to tell their parent, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm using drugs. No. And then he goes, did you know she's like living like a transient over there, like a homeless person? I said, no. Tammy says Angela had stayed in Shasta County with her boyfriend on and off for a few years, always in a rented room or with her boyfriend's relatives. The drug use, the camp where the two were killed, may have been relevant to the investigation, but to a mother who just learned that she'd lost her only daughter, it sounded like victim-blaming, like her whole family was being stereotyped. What are you trying to say? You see our cars that we came in? They're all brand new cars. And you know where we were? Do you know where all my sisters were? We were all at work. And we're all educated. And by the time you get done, you're going to know who my daughter was. That first detective spent five months on the case before he transferred to a different unit. Then another came and went. By the first anniversary of Angela's death, Tammy says she was on number three. He has remained on the case, and she says she used to check in with him often, passing on what she'd been hearing. A lot of the time, she says, he doesn't tell her whether he followed up. They don't care. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, just we'll look into that. We'll look into that. And that's what they tell me. I spoke to Shasta County Sheriff's Lieutenant Chris Edwards, who's in charge of the Major Crimes Unit now. He's new to that role. 
He was actually one of those guys in the parking lot the night that Tammy and her family came to Reading. He saw the detective come out and talk with her about her murdered daughter, a conversation that he says lasted about 15 minutes. The pain it caused her, Lieutenant Edwards says, he regrets that. That's never any detective's intent to disrespect somebody's loved ones, especially during a hard time like that. It's unfortunate that she took it that way. I don't want her to feel that way. Having three detectives on a murder case during the first year, he tells me, is just something that happens as people promote out and others cycle in. He says he doesn't think that impacts investigations. Lieutenant Edwards wasn't able to share the kinds of details that Tammy tells me she's been so thirsty for. Did the detective follow up on a lead she gave him about someone on the Hoopa reservation who might know something? Did anyone check Angela's cell phone records? And how long had Angela been lying there before she was found? Obviously, it's an open case, so I can't get into specifics. But there are some general challenges he can talk about. Shasta County covers nearly 4,000 square miles, and the department is chronically understaffed. That, he says, can present challenges when it comes to solving homicides. Plus, Lieutenant Edwards acknowledges that a lack of trust with potential sources can land an investigation in the cold. If somebody has information and they don't want to talk to the police because of bad prior relationships, that's hard. We're here trying to help. We're trying to solve the case. If we don't get that information because they just don't trust us, then ultimately the victim doesn't get justice because we don't get that information which may or break the case. We are going to get back to that issue of trust. But first, let's go big picture for a second. Violence has haunted Indigenous people ever since colonization. A U.S. Department of Justice study from a few years back found that more than four in five have experienced some kind of violence in their lifetimes. More than half of Indigenous women have been sexually assaulted. But we know that cases of the missing and murdered are vastly underreported. That's why getting a more accurate picture of the problem has been key to all those national and state initiatives that have cropped up in recent years, including California legislation. To determine the scope of the issue of missing and murdered Native Americans in California. Assemblymember James Ramos from San Bernardino County is the first Native American ever elected to the California legislature. His bill passed in 2020, and it funds research that will identify why it's so hard to solve these cases on and off reservation lands. Ultimately issuing recommendations to the state legislature that will come back to this body and will come back to all of us to follow through. It's just now getting off the ground, but it turns out we already know a lot about what's broken. The Yurok tribe, right next door to the Hoopa Valley Reservation, where Tammy raised Angela and her younger brother, has already done some research. And that research identified a lot of reasons that these cases aren't getting the attention they need. Like law enforcement not reporting the indigenous cases to national criminal or missing person databases, or racially misclassifying victims, or getting the cause of death wrong. Those failures didn't affect Angela's case, but the report did find something that has, a long history of mistreatment by law enforcement that's led to deep mistrust. My name is Greg O'Rourke. 
I'm a Yurok tribal member from the villages of Morik, Nachko, Kepel, Pekwan. He's also the Yurok tribal police chief, and he understands where that mistrust comes from. He worked as a tribal police officer on the Yurok and Hoopa Valley reservations before spending a dozen years with the Humboldt County Sheriff's Department. So he has deep ties to sheriffs, deputies, and top brass in both of the counties that his reservation overlaps, Humboldt and Del Norte. And he tries to be a bridge because he's convinced that understanding and collaboration between tribal and state law enforcement will lead to healing. I've had many deputies uh, and other officers come to me and just ask, why do they act that way when we're trying to help, you know, meaning people on the reservation? And my response to that's always been, do you want the nice, simple answer, or do you actually want the real answer? I want the real answer. Okay. And I'll explain that this mistrust of law enforcement comes not from you, but from generations ago. His efforts to educate almost always start with the Yurok word for police officer. Clay Gamina. And it translates to, he goes and gets people. His colleagues, he says, are generally blown away by what he tells them next. They never knew. The Indian Termination Act, the Indian Assimilation Act, were designed to assimilate Native people into the dominant culture. Part of that was forcibly removing Native children to go to boarding schools. And so I would ask deputies, if some government entity came to your house to try to forcibly take your kid, would you fight? Oh, hell yeah, I'd fight. Well, yeah, they fought back then, too. And so social workers who would come to pick up Native kids would need protection. And the people that they brought with them to protect them was uniform law enforcement. Stick with me here, because I'm going to fill you in quickly on something complicated. Law enforcement jurisdiction on tribal lands. It's related to that deep mistrust. So, in most of the country, the feds are responsible for enforcing major criminal laws, like for murder and rape, on tribal lands. But in 1953, Congress made half a dozen states, including California, take on that responsibility. That meant county sheriff's departments had to enforce those laws. And they got no extra funding for that. The upshot, tribal lands have historically been under-policed. And when state law enforcement does show up, it's generally not a good experience. Chief O'Rourke tries to explain this to non-Native cops so they'll understand how that history has trickled down. Can you imagine just that confusion and hurt not being able to fit in two places, the one where you're born to belong and the one where you're raised to belong? How do most people cope with that type of stress and rejection? A lot of them turn to alcohol, a lot of them turn to drugs. Those traumas have been passed down, generation after generation. Chief O'Rourke believes that law enforcement officers will be less judgmental if they learn about the roots of this painful history. That approach is called trauma-informed policing. Having an idea of how trauma impacts that community may dictate a different approach. So when we, law enforcement uh, and the criminal justice system, is forced to intervene, there's at least some compassion and understanding of why we're involved. Chief O'Rourke is starting at home with his own tribal police officers, Native and non-Native alike, 
working to remake their image as guardians of the collective good. Traditionally, the Yurok tribe didn't have a warrior class or a warrior society, but we did have a village protector, that person whose role it was to make sure that the village was safe, that everyone in the village was taken care of. They made sure that everybody had a plate, everyone had a safe place to sleep for the night to a point where they would eat last, they would you know, go to bed last just to make sure that the village was safe. And that's the archetype that I want to bring to this police department. Humboldt County Sheriff William Hansel says he's on board with the concept. His force, along with tribal police, patrols the Yurok and Hoopa reservations. And he already has collaborative agreements with those police departments, but he wants more. Some sheriffs just basically ignore tribal entities and do their own thing on tribal land and don't include input from tribal government. And I think we're seeing a real shift. The Yurok tribe has also been working closely with Sheriff Hansel. Its tribal court recently hired its own prosecutor and is now raising funds to hire an investigator who will work cold missing and murdered cases along with new ones. Not separate from, but in collaboration with tribal, local, state, and federal law enforcement. Angela's mom, Tammy, says she's all for those kinds of partnerships, even across county lines. She was murdered on non-Native land, so it's kind of difficult because it was like, oh, how are we going to do with jurisdiction? Okay. Work together. Hi, this is Tammy Carpenter. As you can see, I'm here in Shasta Lake this afternoon. Thanks to the Hoopa Valley Tribe and that murdered and women's indigenous women's movement, have to sign up for my daughter Angela. Tammy's standing on a loud street in Shasta Lake, where her daughter was killed, streaming live on a Facebook page called Justice for Angela McConnell. There's a giant billboard behind her with a picture of Angela's smiling face. She's wearing stylish glasses and plum-colored lipstick. The billboard offers a $30,000 reward. If you know anything at all about Angela, anybody that sees me on Facebook World today, Please contact that number, or you can message me on Messenger. You know, I just want to let you guys know that. But like I said, the, the case is not solved yet. It's still unsolved, but I would ask for, I'm asking for your help today. Tammy's thanking her tribe, Hoopa Valley, on the video, because like the Yurok, they've been springing into action on cases of the missing and murdered. When the one-year anniversary of Angela's death came and went with no answers, Tammy turned to Hoopa Valley tribal leaders for help. They paid for the billboard, and before that, they kicked in half the reward money. The other thing we did was we did a march. A march for justice. Tammy got help through the tribe's MMIW coordinator, Danielle Vigil-Mastin. Danielle was also friends with Angela, who she says was full of life, loved to make beaded jewelry, and was eager to shed light on important tribal issues. She always had all these um, different ideas, and she would do interviews with you and try to put together stories for the Hoopa newspaper. For that first march in Shasta Lake, Danielle brought a van load of tribal members who put up posters for Angela from Redding clear up to Wairika near the Oregon border and through the mountains back to Hoopa. But the case was stalled. So in spring 2021, Tammy turned to Danielle for more help. 
she goes, well, Tammy, we're going to get an investigator for another guy that had gone missing and possibly murdered, so maybe we can ask the council if they can get extra dollars and help, you know, with Angela. The tribal council agreed. They would hire a well-respected Humboldt County private investigator to work Angela's case, too. All of this marks a new, organized, and forceful effort by the Hoopa Valley tribe to support victims' families, help with searches, and work towards prevention. Because as deep and isolating as Tammy's pain can feel, there are so many other Hoopa families living through a similar hell, desperate for answers, including the family of a woman named Chick White. Danielle was 17 when Chick disappeared while she was hitchhiking. That loss is seared into her memory, she says, because Chick was super close to her older sister. It's a big part of why she does the work she does today. We're like, where did she go? And it's like 30 years later and we still haven't heard anything. Danielle tells me the numbers have been climbing. Her last report to the tribal council listed nine missing for the area, five of them Hoopa Valley tribal members, including one man. The Hoopa and Yurok tribes, as well as family members, have put the most recent young woman's name on blast. They are desperate to find her. Please, anybody who knows anything about Emily Rissling, please reach out to us and let us know. Thank you. Emily Rissling is five foot two with short brown hair and brown eyes, deeply involved in her culture, beloved by many, a mom to two. She was having a mental health crisis when she was last seen in mid-October 2021 on the Yurok Reservation near the Klamath River village of Pequon. For the search, the Hoopa Valley and Yurok Tribal Police were joined by Humboldt County Sheriff's deputies. But it was Danielle and a fellow tribal member who did the door knocking deep on reservation land. They've been really nice to us, inviting us in. Something she says they would probably never do for law enforcement. There's trust issues there. They're afraid that they might say something wrong or just scared of them in general because of their past experiences that may not have been so positive. Each disappearance or murder stirs up the trauma in all these families who've lost loved ones. It also strengthens their resolve. Ten days after Emily was last seen, Tammy and her family, along with Danielle and a bunch of other tribal members, returned to Shasta Lake for a prayer walk for Angela. The mayor came. The city council came. People honked. And a lot of people came out from different tribes in the pouring down rain. We'll always be missed and pray that we find her. Emily Risling, Hoopa. Angela McConnell. Danielle says all the attention seems to have helped because not long after, the private investigator got an important lead in the case. So in early March, Danielle and Tammy went back to the tribal council for more funds to put that P.I. on retainer, not just for Angela's investigation, for others, too. Shasta County Sheriff's Lieutenant Chris Edwards tells me he didn't know about the P.I., but he says he's for it if it can help. You know, if they're getting information that we don't know about, we want to know about it as well so we can go follow it up with our own investigators. He also wants to tell Tammy that his department does care. I would love to speak with her, and if she has any questions, I'd answer those the best I can. As for Tammy, she's holding out hope 
spreading the word about Angela's case every chance she gets. A little over a month before Angela was killed, they talked on the phone. One solace, Tammy got a chance to tell her daughter just how much her whole family loved her. She was really mama. And then I started naming off all her aunties, you know, and her cousins. And she goes, oh, okay, mama. She says, that makes me happy. And uh, I said, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? I, I miss you. She says, I'll be home. I'll be home soon, mama, okay? She says, I will. She says, I love you too, mama. I feel better now. Tammy says she takes comfort in that, even as she fights for justice for Angela, day after day. And that's the California Report magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Victoria Maleon is our senior editor. Susie Rocho directs the show. Brendan Willard is our sound engineer. Our team also includes Amanda Font and Izzy Bloom. Special thanks to Humboldt County journalist Ryan Hudson and to Michael Chapman of the Reading Record Searchlight. And a big thank you to the Judicial Council of California for the interviews with Sheriff Hansel and Tribal Police Chief O'Rourke. I'm Lee Romney. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.